We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. The book of Hebrews at the chapter 13, verse 10. This is what the Word of God says. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. And may God bless the reading of his word. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning for the privilege of being here to fellowship together with you and with one another. And also, especially, Father, to hear your precious word. Thank you for bringing us to the close of this great book. And I pray that this morning, as we cover the last verses of this great epistle, Lord, you will give us wisdom, circumcision of heart and ears, to learn the principles of your, of your precious word, to apply them in our hearts, that we may live lives that glorify you. Thank you, and Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Since, uh, don't go away. Don't go away. I didn't give you permission to leave. You're going to miss out on the blessing of having your son received his baptismal certificate. Noah Peña, where is he? Come down. Come down. Jacob Peña. Amen. Amen. Walk with the Lord. Ariana Peña. Whole bunch of Peñas today. Amen. 
Giovanni Morales is not here yet. Which one is not here yet? Zaili Casus. Also, I'm going to ask uh, Silfida Guerrero to stand up. Yeah, stay there, stay there, stay, stay, stay. And I want to ask Billy Nelson to stand up. These two uh, brethren this morning, uh, well, this morning officially are being accepted as members in our church, okay? I have known Billy since, since before the flood, really. 1979, I think it was, when he came with a group of 50 students, something like that, from Liberty. And ever since then, we've been friends and close ones, and we praise the Lord. And for years, I've been praying for him to get right with God and come to this church. So he finally did that, and I praise the Lord because now he's going to go to heaven. Thank you, Billy, for playing the piano every Sunday. It's a blessing to have you here as part of our church, as a friend and as a brother in Christ, and as our pianist. Praise the Lord. And Silfida, thank you for being faithful. And we praise the Lord for you and the fact that you got saved in such a marvelous way. Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. And who fell? Somebody fainted? Oh, somebody fell? It's okay? Are they going to live? Uh, okay. Slipped? That was quite a slip. Okay. All right, praise the Lord. Well, here we are this morning. By God's grace, we have reached almost the end of the book of Hebrews. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles or phones this morning, and please put your phones on mute or vibration so we don't get distracted by any unnecessary rings. Bear with me one second because this, you know, these computers have a mind of their own. Okay, you may uh, turn in your uh, Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Last week we covered all the way to verse 9. Today we're going to start with verse 10 to expound this great epistle. What a great heritage we have in the Lord. We have his word. As I was walking to church this morning, and I see some of these people walking faithful to some kind of religion, covered in black completely, how appropriate, symbolizing darkness. They have to keep all these things 
because that's what their religion demands of them. And I'm so grateful because, you know, as we were saying the other day, all the man-made, all man-made religions are just that, man-made religions. They're a dime a dozen, okay? And I'm so, I was reading this morning in my devotions what the Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And when we come to Jesus Christ, we have light. We have the light of life because he is the life and he is the light and he is the bread of life and he is life itself. So I praise the Lord this morning that we know the truth and the truth has set us free and we are not slaves to some man-made dogma. Okay, um, so this morning, uh, let us be grateful as we um, cover this portion of scripture here today. And uh, we are in the 13th chapter that talks about the believer's faith being demonstrated. How do we demonstrate our faith? First of all, by having fellowship with other believers. Secondly, we, sh we show it, we demonstrate it by following good examples. The examples of spiritual leaders, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, which is the most important, important, important example, and following good doctrine, good teaching. Um, one of the missionaries in Argentina posted something on Facebook the other day, yesterday as a matter of fact. He says, did you ever stop to think, and he shows a picture of people on the floor like this, and he says, did you ever stop to think how these tele-evangelists, these Pentecostals are uh, doing all these things, they go to church and they start falling down, fainting, foaming at the mouth and what have you. But the only one who never falls down is the cameraman. <laughs> Did you ever stop to think about that? He never gets touched by the spirit. That goes to show you how false it is. Everything is an act. Being filled with the spirit is not that. Being filled with the spirit is submitting to the word of God and living it out. Amen? So here, the third example that we're going to cover today, or the third way of, of demonstrating our, uh, our faith, is by living a life of separation from the world. A life of separation from the world. Okay? The Lord says in 2 Corinthians 6, Come out from among them and be separate. That's what it means to be holy. It means to be separate. We are not of the world. Even though we live in the world, we're not of the world. And love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the love, he who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay? So let us all stand firm in the Lord and his word. I was invited to a home the other day. We were talking about the Bible, and the, tr the tragic thing is in that area where we are, there is a couple of churches that have the rainbow flag outside of their door. And in one of those churches, I learned that they worship Satan. Are you surprised? I'm not. 
And interesting, uh, these ladies whose house we went to said to us, how interesting that these people have stolen a godly symbol, the rainbow, because that's the rainbow God gave to Noah. Right? And what did that rainbow symbolize? Peace. It symbolized that God made a covenant with man that he would never again flood the earth the way he did then. And they have taken that symbol and they have used it for their own evil purposes. And her nephew is a Presbyterian pastor in Missouri, and she tells me that he feels betrayed by his own church. Because that Presbyterian church, if it is uh, the one that I think, I mean, uh, the, the, the sinner that I think of, they are trying to force him to marry homosexual. And he says, I'm not going to do that. You know? If he was me, I would resign on the spot and start my own church, like I did anyway, which is not my church. It's the Lord's church. But we don't belong to any synod. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who rules this church is his word. Amen? So we must forsake the, wor the worldly religious systems and any other kind of system. Now, the third way that a believer's faith is demonstrated is by living a life of separation from the world and its religions. In verse 10, it says, we have an altar. We have an altar. Jesus is the altar to which those who are still trusting in the tabernacle or any other religious altar have no right to eat. Those who are putting their faith in some religious altar, they have no right to eat of the Lord's table or to eat of the altar of the Lord Jesus. At the time this epistle was written, blood sacrifices were still being offered in the temple in Jerusalem, okay, which meant that those who did that had not trusted in Jesus as their Messiah and their final sacrifice. The writer reminds them that the priest could partake and eat of the Levitical sacrifices offered on the altar in the tabernacle and later in the temple, except for one sacrifice they could not partake of. And that was the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. Even the high priest could not partake of that sacrifice. Okay? Um, that's the Day of Yom Kippur. But the believer can eat by partaking of the spiritual food that is Jesus, meaning that the believer has a greater privilege than even the high priests or anyone else in the Old Testament. For this reason, these Jewish believers had, and we have today, more than Judaism or any other religion can offer because Jesus is superior to all. So when we uh, do the Lord's Supper, observe the Lord's Supper, what did the Lord tell the disciples? Take, eat. This is my body. This is my blood. Okay? And that was just a picture of what was going to happen the next day at the cross. What the writer is stressing here is the futility of going back to a dead system. You don't go back to dead systems once you come to the light. If you go back, you were never in the light. Okay? In this case, Judaism, a rabbinical Judaism. A system that was about to come to an end in any case, because just a couple of years after this epistle was written, Jerusalem was destroyed, and the temple was destroyed, and the sacrifice ascended, and the Jewish people were scattered all throughout the world. So judgment was imminent, and he's warning them. 
The lesson for us today is the same. A true believer in Christ has no business returning to any dead man-made religion with its ceremonies, rituals, and rites. Christ is superior to all. So always remember this. It is not a matter of religion. It is a matter of relationship. Did you get that? It is not a religion. It's a personal relationship. Okay? So, Jews under the Old Covenant had an earthly temple and an earthly altar. We have heavenly ones. Jews look to the earthly Jerusalem. We look to the new Jerusalem, the eternal city in the heavens. The earthly is inferior and temporal. The heavenly is better and eternal. In verse 11... We have the proof of our higher privilege. According to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27, the Yom Kippur sacrifice was not burned on the altar like all the other sacrifices. The animal was taken outside the camp of Israel. In this case, later on, when the temple was built, it was taken outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem and burned there in its entirety. No part of that animal could be eaten in Yom Kippur. And these sacrifices could not be eaten as food like the other sacrifices. And this symbolized the removal of sin. Those who served in the tabernacle are excluded or were excluded from the privilege of the heavenly altar. Now secondly, following Jesus' example and reproach. That's how we also demonstrate our faith. Look what it says in chapter 13, in verses 12 and 13. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Here we have an immediate application of this burning of the sacrifice outside the camp. There is a parallel drawn between the Old Testament ritual of Yom Kippur and the better sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. The writer shows the purpose. He did it to sanctify the people. The means was his own blood, not animal blood. The place was outside the gate, that is outside the walls of Jerusalem in Golgotha. Since Jesus suffered outside the camp, he would receive his people there. And for that reason, they should go outside the camp to receive him. For these Jewish believers, it meant going outside the camp of Judaism. For us, it means going outside whatever camp we came from. The emphasis in this section is on separation from dead religious systems to identification with the Lord Jesus Christ in his reproach. It is the difference between religion and relationship. And for this reason, all true Christians must go outside to him, spiritually speaking. Let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. So see, there's another thing here that is false. When you hear somebody saying to you, come to Jesus and you will prosper and everything will be fine. No, it won't. 
When you come to Jesus, many times problems begin because the devil is not happy. Okay? And whether we are in Jesus or not, we live in a, in a world of suffering and tribulation. Always remember that. And things are not going to get better until the Lord comes back. So be ready for it. In Greek, it says, let us keep on going to him. Continuous action. It's not something we do once and that's it. No, it's something we need to do constantly. Okay? And take our stand there with him there in Golgotha, bearing his reproach. As Jesus himself endured the cross, despising the shame. And, and Moses also accepted the reproach of Christ in his time. The only decent place for the true believer in Christ is by the cross of Christ. Some Christians are duped in thinking that it's going to be safer in another place, in another state, in another country. That is not the safest place. The safest place is in the center of, will, of the will of God. That's where, where it's safe. In the eye of a hurricane, so to speak. Okay? The only decent place for the true believer in Christ is by the cross. The cross of Christ. With its re reproach and power. That's why it says there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 and this is the great passionate plea of the writer of this epistle. You cannot love Christ and the world at the same time. A lot of Christians try to uh, please both. We as Christians must stand up and let the world know, especially these days, where we stand. And not compromise with them. Can we please sit down and not stop this uh, moving around? It's very distracting. Every, every five seconds somebody gets up. And it's no, nothing particular on anybody in special, generally speaking. If you need to go to the restroom, do it before the service starts. Amen? Please. Because it not only distracts me, it distracts everybody else. You cannot love Christ and the world at the same time. It is either one or the other. Christ demands, what does he demand? Commitment. Commitment. Also, we do it by remembering we have no abiding city here. Like it says there in verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. This is why these Jewish believers were urged to go outside the camp and the city. Jerusalem was destined to be destroyed, an event which happened a very short time later, as, as I said, and because of the nation's reject, rejection of the Messiah, the city has lost it, had lost its charm and purpose, at least for the time being. No continuing city is a reference to the fact that the earthly Jerusalem was going to cease existing as the religious center of Israel, like it happened. And this destruction was known by these believers from Jesus' prophetic declarations in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 19 and chapter 21, where he spoke on the Mount of Olives and he prophesied that the city would be destroyed. For this reason, these believers are exhorted to seek a permanent city. Seek the one to come, it says. 
This city is the heavenly Jerusalem, which will replace the present city with its temporary system of worship. It is the city to come, not just a city. It is a specific city, and for this reason, the obligation of all believers is commitment to Jesus, abandoning any worldly religion and anything this temporary world offers. How else do we demonstrate our faith? By offering priestly sacrifices to God. Verse 15. Look what it says there. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. What did we do this morning before anything else? Huh? As a congregation what did we do? We what? We sang. You know what that is? That's priestly service. We gave praise. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. With our lips. And of course our hearts. Okay? The Lord Jesus is our high priest and sacrifice. The only efficient and eternal one. So in verse 15, we're exhorted to continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. But it must be done through Him and Him only. There's no other way to approach God except through the Lord Jesus Christ. We must keep an offering. That's a continual, present, continuous action. Uh, I was reading something the other day. It says, when you have your devotions, do you sing? And I got rebuked because I don't. I mean, I don't have the voice I used to have. I have a lot of frogs. But that's not my fault, that's age. But you know what? We sing in our hearts. Even if we cannot carry the melody, let's sing. If you don't have a hymnal at home, find a hymnal. You can even now go online and get the hymns from there and sing. As you, as you have your devotions, as you read your Bible, sing the hymns that you know unto the Lord. And He will be glorified in that. And you will be blessed Okay, I love singing. I always did, and I guess I will always do. So we must keep an offering. Jesus is alive and continuing forever. Jesus is a high priest, and we believers are priests. Today we do not offer blood sacrifices, but we must offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. We worship God for who He is and, and what, for what He does has done and will do. We thank him for his grace with the fruit of our lips making confession to his name. The confession is that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. Do you believe that? Hello? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? You believe he is the Messiah, which means the same thing? Do you? Yes? Say, I believe. All right week but I'll take it we offer sacrifices of sacrifice of continuous praise also sacrifice of sharing good works good works we have been created unto good works okay we are saved not by works but we are saved to do good works Ephesians 2 10 
Everybody quotes verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we stop there, but he continues. For we, have, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's the reason why we got saved. To do good works to his glory, not to our glory. In verse 16 here, we see, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such, such sacrifices God is well pleased. One of the ways we manifest our, our, our testimony, our, our faith, is by good works, but we also manifest our love. Because love is to give. And so many people talk about love, but they do not practice love. And the biblical love, which is to give what somebody else needs. What is it that you need? What is it that somebody else needs? Are you aware of the need of somebody? Try to meet it. Okay, the Bible tells you, tells you that in, the, in James chapter 2 and in 1 John chapter 3. This is the second spiritual sacrifice. Good deeds. Believers must not forget to do good and to share. To do good refers to any kindly service. This will prove the love of the, for the brethren. To share refers to providing for the needy. And this fulfills the love for strangers and for the prisoners. With these kinds of sacrifices, God is well pleased. God is pleased. Most of you are too young to remember the Six-Day War in Israel. But I was 18 years old at the time. And I remember that vividly. And it happened just a couple of months before we came to this country. We were still in Argentina. And I remember the, uh, uh, as soon as that happened, they were surrounded by enemies. And the then foreign minister, Golda Meir, who later became prime minister, came to the United States. Now, she was born in the Ukraine, but she grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She was a teacher there many years before she went to Israel. And she spoke English like an American. And she came here to challenge the Jewish people of the United States to help with the war. They needed money. They needed armaments. They needed everything to be able to survive. They didn't know what was going to happen. In 24 hours, she was able to raise, back in 1967, $50 million from American Jewry. You know what that demonstrated? Love. Demonstrated unity. Lo to love is to give, and to give is to love. Amen? Always remember that. I am so grieved so many times when I hear of churches that mistreat their pastors. They give them meager, meager salaries. And if they give them something, they brag as to how much they gave. Or they give something to another Christian. Or they give just a little bit. I, I know people that when a missionary comes, or came back then, they would bring, empty out their closet and bring all their leftovers, old shoes, old clothes. And I got so offended one time, and you know me with my mouth. 
I stood up behind the pulpit and I told the people, not here, it was in the, <coughs> the other church many years ago. I said, listen, you want to bless the missionaries? Don't give them the leftovers you have. Go buy them a pair of shoes, new. Give them new clothes. Don't give them the things that you don't need anymore. You think you're generous with that? The Lord says, your first fruits you give. Not the leftovers. Don't be cheap. And I grabbed all the old things and I threw them away. I says, now bring good stuff. Because if you were a missionary, you would expect to get something good, right? So do unto others as you would like others to do unto you. Let's be practical as Christians. Let's be generous. Let's show our love by giving the best. Amen? And do you think by any wild stretch of your imagination that you can outgive God? Didn't he say it is more blessed to give than to receive? What does James say also? You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with a wrong motive to consume it in your own lusts. How quickly we ask for the things we want. How slow we are to provide for those who need. As Christians, we've got to be honest, sincere, spiritual, eh? practical. Now, Also, by submitting, we demonstrate our faith, and we are in verse 17 here, and I know a lot of Christians don't like this verse. Because the first word of this verse is like bitter medicine. Obey. We live in a world where everybody wants to be a chief, but nobody wants to be an Indian. But that's not how God sees things. There's only one chief, and that's the Lord. Amen? Obey those who rule over you. And be submissive. For they watch out for your souls, as though who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Not for them, for you. So here we are told that remembering the elders and obeying them is another way of submi or submitting to uh, rather to spiritual uh, leadership is a way of uh, showing our faith. Another way the believer, the believer's spirituality is demonstrated is by obeying. We are exhorted to fulfill the obligation to obey those who rule over you and be submissive to them. Is that a biblical principle? Yeah. Do you remember of any case when somebody rebelled against authority, spiritual authority in the Old Testament? And the consequences? I'll give you one right off the bat. There was a man named Moses. And he had a brother and a sister. The brother's name was Aaron. He was older than him. Aaron, that is, was older than Moses. And then there was a younger sister. Her name was Miriam. And one day in the desert, after they left Egypt, they came up to him and they, says, they said, you know what, you're taking too much responsibility on yourself. Does God speak only through you? We can do that too. And God struck her with leprosy. And she had to be, because she instigated it. And they had to put her outside the camp for seven days because she was a leper. And the whole congregation of Israel, two million people, were stuck. Couldn't go anywhere. And that shows us that when there is sin, there's no progress. 
And Moses pleaded for her. And the Lord says, oh, if she had done that to her father, would he not have spat on her face? You know, where I come from, you offend your father, you better start running. Over here, people take, uh, you know, they give him a, a tongue this long. And so Moses could not say anything. And the Lord, in his infinite mercy, cured her. And then they resumed. They learned the lesson. What is the lesson? Those whom God places in authority must be respected. Nowhere in the Bible says, go rebuke your pastor. Nowhere in the Bible says, go counsel your pastor. As a matter of fact, it doesn't tell you to counsel anybody. Never give counsel to anybody unless they ask you for it. Amen? You know the law of supply and demand? When there's too much supply, what happens with the prices? They go down. Loses value. So make your advices and your comments and your counseling scarce. So they'd be greatly evaluated. Okay? God commands us all. And I'm not telling you something I didn't practice in my own life. And I did and I still do. Ivan, please stand up. Alberto, please stand up. What's your name? Luis Daniel, please stand up. And Eddie, please stand up. Do I lord it over you? Lord it over you? Do I give you orders and tell you, you've got to do this, I'm the boss here? Do I say that? No. When you guys are in agreement with something and I think something else, do I submit to you? Thank you. You may be seated. I'll see you after the service. <laughs> Amen, by my brother. And that's how, you know what? Love and respect, but love is the perfect bond of unity. And you, all of you in here, everyone have the responsibility as members of this church to make sure that that bond is protected. I'm going to be gone for three months, but my heart stays here, and I'll be with you in spirit, and if I need be, I'll land on the roof of this building, but via helicopter, but I'm only kidding because I know it will not be necessary. Unity glorifies God. Division glorifies the devil. Always remember that. Amen? All right. Obey, it says there. God says it. Okay? It's an obligation that we have all have as Christians. Obedience and submission, two outstanding characteristics of a believer walking with Christ. Why do we have to submit to our leaders? Because they watch for, they watch out for our souls. They watch out for our well-being. Well the Greek word denotes losing sleep to do this. Okay? For they must give account. Leaders of a local congregation are accountable to God. I, as a pastor, am accountable to God for you. But you are not accountable to God for me. You are responsible to pray for me. 
And that's the only thing I ask, that you pray for me. And, of course, we need to love one another because it says, Oh, no man, anything but to love one another, right? Who says that? Did I say that? It's in the Word. I didn't write the Bible. I'm only a stupid Greek who preaches it. I didn't write the Word of God. I only preach and teach the Word of God. We do that, the Lord will bless the church always and prosper it. Because remember, this is His church. This is not my church. This is not anybody else's church. It's our church collectively, but it's His church because He paid for it with His blood. Leaders will be able to give an account with joy and not with grief if a congregation obeys and submits to them. The word for grief means to do it with groaning. I don't want to give an account like that. Now, this means that a congregation has the responsibility to help the leaders rule with joy and gladness and not make their task more difficult than it is. The other day, somebody sent me this on Facebook, and I forwarded it to everybody I forward these things to. And it was, I found it very, very interesting. And I'd like to share that with you. It's very short. It says, pray for pastors. This came day for yesterday. Pray for pastors. Pray for encouragement and rest. And I thought, well, how appropriate. Pastors are just like us. They have families, problems, feel discouraged and worn out at times. They need encouragement and relief from stress. And I didn't write this. You know that. I mean, I don't post things on Facebook unless somebody sends me something. But it's a truth, truth, true statement. People don't realize many times what a pastor goes through. So anybody uh, thinks that uh, the, the job is easy, you're welcome to change places with me for two weeks. Amen? And I've been doing it by God's grace, and the glory goes to him for 47 years. Do you think I deserve a little rest? At the age of 73, decrepit and dilapidated. I mean, I'm not crying here or anything, but I'm just letting you know that I'm trying to make you aware of the importance of praying for your pastor. And not just for me. I was praying this morning for a pastor in Hungary. He just lost his wife, and somebody swindled him out of $6,000. And they have... You know, he buried his wife. He's preaching in a church. He's looking outside towards the cemetery at, at her grave. He couldn't concentrate. What a horrible thing. You know, who was the devil that did that to discourage him? He needed that money for something regarding the funeral, something like that. That's sad. You know what? I don't know him, but the Lord knows him. And the least I can do is pray for the man. Amen? And we should too. We should do. You know, you know of people that I don't know of. Pray for them. Pray. If we prayed more and complained less, oh, what a blessing it would be. All right? Um, 
So most people have no idea how hard it is to, to be an overseer in God's work. Uh, it is hard as it is, but many people insensibly and selfishly add grief to the burden. They don't realize that in the long run, it will be unprofitable for themselves. Don't forget, you do something wrong, you're going to give an account to the Lord for that. Okay? When a servant of God is in the will of God and teaches the word of God correctly, people should submit and obey. Good pastors are not dictators. They are God's servants, but they are not people's slaves. Some people think the pastor is everybody's slave. No, 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 no. I'm his slave, but not anybody else's. I'll serve everybody with gladness as far as I can. And as much as I can. But I am not a slave. And as a matter of fact, God forbids me from becoming a slave to men. And if you want to know where, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. Okay? Some people have a disrespectful attitude towards authority in general and toward pastoral authority as well. And this is dangerous. First for them and then for God's work. One day we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for this reason, any good pastor would want to give a good, good account of his people and do it with joy. On that day... A disobedient Christian will find that the results of his disobedience are unprofitable, not for the pastor, but for himself or herself. Also, we show our faith by them by praying for other faithful workers. Verses 18 and 19. Let's read those verses now. Now, verse 18. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. The writer emphasizes here the importance of prayer and the obligation believers have to pray, not just for their own leaders, but for others as well, as we said before. In this case, for him and his workers who's writing this epistle. The writer is confident that we have a good conscience, meaning himself and his co-workers, and he asks these believers to pray for them, for they desired in all things to live honorably. This is something every Christian should desire, to have a good conscience, to be submissive to God, his word, and his leaders, and to live honorably before God. In verse 19, the writer exhorts these believers especially to pray, so that he says, I may be restored to you the sooner. The Greek says, all the more exceedingly to do this, that is, to pray. This is a specific prayer request, so that he may be able to come to them sooner. Perhaps he was writing from prison, but he hopes to be released and restored by their prayers. He gives an indication he had been with them previously, and he was separated from them and hopes soon to be reunited with them once more. And also... We demonstrate our faith by submitting to the Lordship of Christ. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, 
working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We submit to the Lord's, to the Lordship of Christ. Here we have the writer's benediction. And this benediction seems to cover the major themes of this epistle. Peace, Christ's resurrection, the blood, the covenant, and spiritual maturity. The writer mentions nine things here. First, he says, now the God of peace. God is the author and giver of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he will grant them peace in the midst of all their trials. We have the peace of God which passes all human understanding. According to Philippians 4, 7. Secondly, this is the God who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. This ought to give encouragement to every believer. For if God brought up Jesus from the dead, he can certainly meet our every need. If God is able to raise from the dead, he is able to provide for our every need in this life. He is the God of the impossible. He calls him Lord, emphasizing his deity. Jesus is his humanity. Thirdly, the Lord Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. This speaks of the Lord's relationship to his flock. He is the shepherd. He, as the shepherd, will meet all the needs of his sheep. As the good shepherd, he gave his life for his sheep. And he will most certainly give them everything else. As the Greek shepherd, as a great shepherd, he lives for his sheep in heaven today, interceding for us. As the chief shepherd, he will return for his sheep. And Jesus cares for us at all times. Remember that. Fourthly, Jesus meets all our spiritual needs through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Everlasting, of course, means eternal. This is the new covenant that we find throughout this epistle and the basis on which God deals with the believer. The Lord Jesus spoke those very words. My blood of the new covenant at the last supper, at the Seder that we're having right before his passion and crucifixion. Fifthly, God can make us perfect in every good work to do his will. And he does it through the blood of the Lord Jesus, implying his supply in our lack and his correction in our faults. Make you complete is one word in Greek, giving the idea, okay, listen to this, of setting a broken bone. If you break a bone, you set it, that's the word, katartizo in the Greek. Okay, in other words, you, you, you repair the bone by placing it back together to heal, Okay, not only setting a broken bone, oh, it, it could also mean of mending a fisherman's net. Remember when the Lord Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and he found the, disciples, the first disciples? Where they, what were they doing, it says? They were what? Mending their net. That's the same word. To mend means to repair the net. Because if you do not fit the net, if you do not repair the net, you can't fish because this, the fish is going to go right through the hole. All right, so you uh, mend uh, a fisherman's net. Or it means to outfit a ship for a voyage. When you load the ship and you outfit it, you fix it, you just prepare it, equip it, that word is the same word, catardizo, okay? 
or to equip an army for battle. So the idea is that, that of equipping. Our Lord wants to equip us for life on earth. He wants to set the broken bones in our life so that we, we may walk straight or run the race. He wants to repair our nets so our fishing will be efficient. He wants to equip us for battle so we may be able to fight a good fight of faith. And he wants to outfit us so that we may weather the storms of life. Sixthly, he wants us to mature in all things so he can use us and work through us to accomplish his will and purposes. He does this by using his word. That's why it says the, 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 the word of God is, is inspired. The, the, the old scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. And it's useful, profitable for everything. For teaching, for rebuke, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good word. He does it not only through his word, but through prayer. As you pray, God equips you. Okay? By fellowship, also in local churches. When you come to church, what do you do? You get edified, right? You get encouraged. No? Yes? No? Okay. No, I was getting scared there for a minute. The Lord equips us. Through whom? Evangelists, pastors, teachers. Okay? And also using individ individual believers as well. But he also uses suffering to perfect us. Seventh, God works in us what is well pleasing in his sight, working out his good pleasure or working in his good pleasure in his children. Eighth, God accomplishes this through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the means through whom the Father works to accomplish his will in the believer. And the last one, ninth, the writer ends this benediction with praise. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everything God does and everything we must do is for his glory. And this ends the body of the epistle. The only thing that remains is the conclusion. So here we are in verse 22. And I appeal to you. Brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you, if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. The writer appeals to his readers to bear with the word of exhortation or the letter of encouragement. In this epistle, the writer had given one exhortation after another to encourage these believers to remain in the faith and to not go back to an empty, temporary religion. As believers, we must be careful to remain in the word of God with the same spirit the Thessalonians had they received the word of God as being indeed the word of God. We must respect and pay atten attention to God's word and cherish it at all times. 
being mindful always to put in practice all its teachings. So they are God's instruction. In verse 23, the writer announces Timothy's release from prison, encouraging news indeed for uh, them in their trials. Then he expresses his desire to come shortly to see them with him. Interesting how God is interested in his individual servants. And in verse 24, the writer tells the believers to greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. All believers should be in good terms with their pastors and with all believers. And it says then, those of Italy salute you. Most likely, this epistle was written from Italy by whoever wrote it. We don't know who it was. The only name we have here, proper name from the people that were the workers of God at the time, is Timothy. So we don't know. It wasn't Timothy who wrote it, obviously. It was a man who because of the pronouns in the epistle, but we don't know who it was. We know that God, who was secretary, is not as important. And here we come to the last verse, verse 25. Here with this verse, the writer closes with a word of grace. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen is a Hebrew word. means so be it. This is a plea from the writer for God to grant grace to these believers and that they should appropriate that grace in their lives. Oh, how we need, we all need God's grace to live our lives in this shaky and uncertain world of today. Let us remember that we have, as we have seen, a superior person, Jesus Christ, who has a superior priesthood, which we must trust, and that we must live by the superior principle of faith in his person and his perfect work on the cross, and is able to save us. He is able to save us to the uttermost. Only he can provide that salvation. That's why in the book of uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be And may the Lord bless his word. And may he bless us, for we need it. And let us also bless one another all the time. And walk faithfully, faithfully with him. For he alone is worthy. I trust that by his grace you are able to learn a few things from this epistle. Amen? Lord willing... When he allows me to return, we will start the book of Genesis. And let me tell you, that is no small task. One of the things I'm going to be doing in my absence is preparing the book of Genesis. I mean, I have most of it prepared. I just need to do some few, few more things. So pray for me as I do. But I want the word of God to be a blessing always. Amen? So pray for me. Pray for me. And I most certainly will be praying for you. And uh, don't worry about it. Everybody will be fine. Lord willing, we'll see each other soon. Be faithful. And don't be absent from church because you don't like somebody else's face. Don't compare preachers. No matter who stands behind this pulpit, let me tell you that I do not allow just anybody coming behind this pulpit. 
I only put there people I trust. And they all don't have the same gift. We're all different. But that's, look at your, the fingers in your hand. How are they? They're all different, right? So is the body of Christ. Everybody has a different gift. We must pray for one another, pray for those who are speaking, preaching, the music, all the things that are being done in the ministry on Sundays, the nursery, the kitchen, everything. There's no such thing as a menial task in the Lord's kingdom. Amen? Everybody is important. God is pleased when we are in unity. Remember that. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.